Shut up and sit down. Back then I was packed in to these sweet 16s got me back in. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bump the Cutter podcast. I'm Joseph Nerdone. Today I'm joined by my friend, my great friend, the Nick's Wall podcast partner in crime along with another man, Mike Cortez. Happy birthday, Mike. Jess Reinhardt. Jess, how are you doing? What is up, Joseph? How are we? I'm living the dream. Uh, I almost called Mike by the the wrong last name for a second. I was thinking of somebody I work with on a daily basis. But yeah, for those unaware, I know Jess from doing a lot of draft pods with her at the uh, Knicks wall where, you know, like I said, we talk about draft prospects. Usually in March, it was a little bit different this year with everything going on. But uh, she's very knowledgeable. Like me, she's obsessed with low major basketball. So unfortunately, you guys are going to be subjected to a lot of that in this podcast. But other than that, um, she's one of the most well-informed people I know. And uh, I feel like that that qualifies her. I don't know why I felt like I had to qualify you um, beforehand. Um, it's all right. I, I feel like I have to qualify myself in usual scenario, so it works. I mean, plus, you did give me my nickname, Joe. The Flex Queen? Yeah. That's because you name drop everybody. We'll be casually talking about uh, whatever super random basketball player. And be like, oh, yeah, he's my best friend. It could be anybody. Or, Everyone's or, or, my best friend, or, though. Or, or even, I won't use the coach's name because I don't know what's in off limits here. But like the, when we were both aware, coach was on the move. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know him a little bit. He seems like a nice guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, like I, I go to his birthday parties. I can't remember the, exactly what you said, but like you know, know the guy. I'm not even, and the bad part is, I'm not even sure which coach we're talking about. Well, it's because this happened a few times. It hasn't happened this once. Um, yeah. Well, you're also one of the few people. Um, like in my circle, right? Like the circle of people I talk to, where most of us are well informed and talk to coaches or players or both, and none of us really do anything with it. We just kind of go, oh, okay, it keeps us me educated on the topic, but we're never like on Twitter being like, sources told me. You know what I mean? Because that, I mean, for me, I never want to do that anyway. But uh, yeah. it's always nice to have that like little bit inside information. Uh, I, I won't say how I know, knew, but I knew Jeff Bowles was getting the Ohio job like a week and a half before he got it. And uh, and it wasn't right. Jeff Bowles. Like people would assume it's because I've done stuff with Jeff Bowles before. And it wasn't him. But like that's how it kind of works. Like you get to know people, they talk to you. And then when you need uh, educated information that like a dope like me wouldn't have in my office in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, you reach out and be like, hey, Coach Y or Player X, could you give me some background information on this person, thing, or an event? And they'll give it to you. And it's way better than me just guessing. Sure. I mean, I think my favorite part is just watching when people are completely off base and wrong and you can just watch from the background and be like, do you, do you have another thing coming to you? But you'll find out soon enough. Oh, listen, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I've, I've talked about this before. When Kevin Stallings got the pit job, um, and at the time, my writing style was very, I hope everybody's okay and happy. And uh, <laughs> and I, I, I'm still kind of that way. Like, you know, I don't root for people to fail, but I've had, I had enough coaches and players tell me that he was like an abominable human being and he was going to fail miserably that I wrote like probably the strongest column I have like on a coach hiring I ever wrote where I'm just like yeah this is going to be the worst thing that ever happened at Pitt and I was right not because I was right because everybody else told me that's what was going to happen do you know what I mean so right. it really, yeah. while other people were like oh well he did pretty good at Vanderbilt and he could probably do more at Pitt because the he won't have the recruiting things hanging over him like he does at Vanderbilt because of the grades 
And I'm like, eh, all these other people in the no-no are telling me, no, this guy's going to be a disaster. He doesn't have the personality mm-hmm. for that kind of program or that kind of city. He doesn't, you know, he's not that actually that good of a coach. He, when he did land very good recruits, they actually underperformed. Because he had a couple NBA-level players at Vanderbilt, and they kind of underperformed. I'm getting off topic. So we're actually <laughs> going to start, as I mentioned in the lead, we like low major basketball. People that follow me know I'm I'm obsessed with the AEC. Uh, and we're losing one pretty soon in Hartford, the Hartford Hawks. They are the um, couple months removed from making their first NCAA tournament trip ever. Vin Baker, he went to school there. Uh, they're leaving. They're going back to the Division III uh, level. Uh, the state, There was a very, very lengthy statement uh, from the Board of Regents Chair David Gordon to sum it up very, very tightly. I'm going to paraphrase his quote. Basically, he knows a lot of people are going to be disappointed. And they want to get back to the focusing on the academic side of things more. Uh, Claimed it didn't have a ton to do with money. They also claimed, though, that they're going to save $9 million. We're going to talk about how the current uh, reported that it's not really going to be saving them $9 million. It's going to be closer to a wash by the time it's all said and done. But when you saw the news, Jess, what what was kind of your first reaction? Because the timing was very weird of it because they just made their first NCAA tournament trip on the men's side. The women's side already made it right. six times. Right. So, and that was exactly my first thought. At first, actually, I thought I was wrong. I was like, wait, they just made the NCAA t- tournament. Oh, wait, maybe they, like, I really thought, there's no way a team that just made the NCAA tournament is moving to D3 now. So I, I, I thought I was wrong. And then I, I double checked and it's like, all right, check my sanity. And it it's tough because, and obviously I know it's not all about men's college basketball, men's basketball at um, a D1 school, but that's the first thing that came to mind just with them making it. And I was kind of locked into the Americas uh, tournament for various reasons. And I just... And then I just immediately felt bad for the guys that are, you know, any player that's there on any team where you're a D1 player and suddenly you're not or you won't be in a year or two or, you know, and we can maybe talk about kind of how it's kind of a slow burn moving from D1 to D3. But, um, yeah, that that's mainly what I was thinking about. Yeah, the process I think both of us are not 100% positive on because it is a couple-year move down to division three so yeah. like tomorrow all of a sudden they're they're in the division three ranks i'm not sure how the scholarship thing works i know like almost all the players that are on the roster now won't be there when the move is made I, but we're not that sure like are they offered are they allowed to offer scholarships next year or the year after because usually these things i believe they take about four years um almost like a college student i could be wrong on mm-hmm. that process uh, for me the thing that I don't want to use hyperbolic terms because that's just, like weird. And I don't know. I'm not an, uh, an economist. Like I, I'm not great with numbers and I'm not going to pretend I, I am. Uh, but the process seemed weird to me, uh, not just because of the optics part, right? Because they commissioned the study in the winter, apparently. Uh, and so they didn't obviously they didn't know they were going to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, it is important to note they have 17 total varsity sports. Most are going to be able to stay in America East. Some are going to go to the big sky. Uh, mentioned before, their women's program's been pretty successful. Six, uh, yeah, six times um, going to the NCAA tournament. Have a pretty good baseball program. Uh, apparently, I'm, I'm 
speaking from me researching a good soccer program. But, you know, 17 things are going to go all drop down, with the majority of them outside the men's and women's basketball program uh, being relegating down a level or two levels. Uh, the process what's bothered me is they apparently didn't inform many people that this was being done, leaving, you know, coaches without enough information. And this is just like you mentioned before. Obviously, we're going to view it initially through just the men's basketball thing because that's the team that just made the NCAA tournament. That's the one that theoretically, air quotes, because I don't know, drives the most money to the school um, and all that stuff. But, like, the coaches weren't informed this was happening, leaving then leaving the athletes in turn, the current athletes on the roster in turn, kind of like, what the hell's going on now? And then leaving mm-hmm. them in a position now to have to defend, defend something that they had no idea that was happening. And they don't have to defend it, but you know what I mean? Like, people are going to ask them questions. What do you think about this move? And surely a lot of them are going to be disappointed. Um, it was, it's a lot of this is just lost on me that it felt, I told you before the show, it felt like they commissioned this, this study from this firm to get the answer they wanted to hear because the number they kept throwing out was like saving roughly nine or 10 million. But, uh, the current, I believe was reporting. It's basically be closer to a wash because they're going to have to pay. You mentioned, I don't want to steal your thunder, so I'll let you talk about the exit fees and everything like that. But uh, well, by the time it's all said and done, it's not going to be that much money saved. Yeah. Um, so in preparation for this, I was reading Dana O'Neill's piece on The Athletic. about, And this was, um, I think this is when they were still, quote-unquote, exploring a drop to Division III. Um, and... The original, so the original report was produced by Car Sports Consulting, and then um, there was a secondary report. Basically, uh, it was by Andy Schwartz, which I'm just going to quote the athletic piece on this for this, but it says, "Best known as the savior of Alabama Birmingham football, to examine the original study produced by Car Sports Consulting, the same group that has suggested UAB uh, eliminate football." And a, f- a few of the main points were, you know, no, it's not going to be that $10 million because it completely disregarded a, f- a, f- a few major things, including the exit fees from the America East, with their, which they're estimating at $1 million. Um, and then the one that I kind of find most interesting is they have a partnership with Hartford Healthcare, uh, which was up for renewal this year and pays the salaries of 10 athletic trainers and strength coaches at an estimation of $550,000. And it should be known that... Hartford Health... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it should be at a school that size, those trainers are being spread throughout all 17 programs, or 17 sports they house. It's not like where Alabama has five football trainers for just football. Right. Those 10 trainers probably... 10 trainers and strength coaches, that probably is the entirety of the training and strength coach right. uh, staff. And, you know, does Tarford Healthcare want to continue a partnership with the school that's removing itself from D1 competition? I don't know. Um, do D3 schools normally have that many trainers? I doubt it. Um, and we can get more into it, but just thinking about the money, then you get into coaches' salaries and things like that. Um, a D3 program is lucky to have one full-time assistant at like 30 grand a year. They probably have three assistants in Adobo right now. 
what happens to those guys. Um, there, there's just a lot of lot of questions here. Yeah, right now they're, the men's basketball coach is Johnny Gallagher. He's been there since 2010. Um, people familiar with Hartford, and this is not to bash the basketball program, it's not like they necessarily cared about wins or losses because if you go through his track record, they gave him plenty of time to figure things out. They'll obviously ride out with him through this. I mean, he's also coming fresh off uh, <clears throat> a uh, NCAA tournament appearance. Uh, and he's a relatively young guy. Um, so I don't know what his aspirations are professionally. But I can't imagine him, them doing anything other than trying to work out his contract so that when they make the move to Division Three, one, they're not obligated to keep him. And he's probably not going to mm-hmm. want to stay. Like, he's been a Division One right. coach for... 10 years uh, as a head coach, relatively young guy, uh, he's four, in his mid-40s, I guess he'd be, and uh, he could go and get an assistant job somewhere else, I'm sure. Uh, it, I am, I'm just fuzzy on the math, like that's the, the, the issue, and there's other things that I don't understand that uh, people educated in the academia world would be more informed about, because I've read that they have uh, issues with normal students, like I, I don't want to call them normal students, but student retention that has nothing to do with the athletic side. And these are all areas they also need to fix to, um, you know, stay in the green as a college. Like nobody wants to talk about a college as a business. I get it. But this was a business move, right? And mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to operate in the green as a business. And even though it's a school and we don't think of schools as businesses, the majority of them are run as such. Um, very few are Harvard with like a bazillion dollar endowment or a school like Alabama. I, I'm relying on them heavy, obviously, here for the examples of making just so much insane money off football that they could spread that wealth out through other sports programs and academics. Most are like on, on, the, on the Vision One level, uh, most fall in the bottom tier of programs, which are probably struggling and they have. What's weird is it doesn't go off enrollment. You could be a very small bass uh, school. You can enroll three thousand people and be a Division One program, right? In theory, you may and not that's be. Sienna. Yeah, like it's uh, you make the movies you think it's profitable. Like if you want to be a Division One program, uh, Grand Canyon's the best example for it. One because it's a for profit. It's one of the, I believe it's the only for profit right now in Division One. And, I believe so, yeah. Um, even though they keep claiming they're going to be a nonprofit, like next year, and then it becomes the year after that and the year after that, they've uh, specifically designed their basketball program to be a profitable enterprise. Um, they failed despite numerous uh, attempts to garner attention on media. Um, they happened to run into that Marvin Menzies era at New Mexico State where he was just dominating. Um, and now what's funny enough is he went to UNLV, he got fired, then they hired him as an assistant coach. Like basically hiring away the guy that kept <laughs> that kept beating him, um, but that's what a lot of the, like when they make the jump to Division One, the, their jump was thirty some years ago. It wasn't like it was recent. You make the jump because you think it's going to be a profitable thing to do for your uh, your business, your college, however you want to phrase it, and you're making the move back for the same reason. Now they're they're off and on the statements I've read because there's a couple. It's not just uh, that. That the Board of Regents, Mr. Gardner, I forgot his first name already. Let me see what it, I believe. I don't want to call him David. That's David Gordon. I almost confused him with Bleacher Reports, David Gardner. Um, <laughs> there's another uh, person from Hartford that's on the record saying it has nothing to do with money. So it can't be all these things. And it's almost always about the money. Uh, I guess my, my question to you, though, and I hope I'm not making it a leading question, 
is because you know what I already told you what I thought before we started recording. So there's 350 some Division One basketball programs. Yep. Is this a byproduct of too many schools and not enough money to be split? Because this, it's funny because it's the whole the whole model of Division One basketball is basically socialism between schools. And even at a conference level too, right? Like yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. I, I meant, Har- yeah, I meant by a conference level. I apologize. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, with Harford making the NCAA tournament, the American East is, uh, is the one that gets paid, right? And then it's up to them. I'm I'm guessing the school that makes the tournament gets a little bit more, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's much more than um, the other schools in the conference. It gets redistrib- redistributed throughout the conference and maybe not even just for basketball, but other other sports. Um, do I think there's too many Division One programs? I, I think did you, I think you talked about this? Maybe maybe it was just on Twitter. Maybe it was in the newsletter or something. I know that you you put it somewhere where I read it, and I've been thinking about it uh, ever since. And it it is hard for me because I know people at like those lower D one schools where like would they be the ones <laughs> to get chopped off, right? And I. I think there is an argument for it. Um, I think wherever I read that you were talking about that, you you mentioned how, or maybe it was the podcast that uh, you do like the the sixty eight teams for the NCAA tournament. Could it be smaller? Sure, but I agree. I, I like the sixty eight. Um, but like we talked about before we started recording, like you said, the eighth person off the bench at Harford is not as good as the eighth person off the bench at Duke, right? And there's differences there, and it needs to be accounted for. And, yeah, I I guess it could be uh, a correlation for that. Well, I think my argument – not my argument. My theory was always, like, if you're going to keep this many programs in – and there's we should also acknowledge a recent John Rothstein report that says the buy buy games you know like when a lot of these smaller schools are making money for traveling to Duke or North Carolina yeah those they're getting less so they're going to be getting less moving forward um I know that's that matters more for and I don't know if that applies to football I I know that was a basketball report from a basketball report I mean yeah and that is I I hadn't seen that uh but that's that's a big big deal deal. I mean that one of the coaches I know literally has to plan non-conference games to pay for their budget. Yes. Like they just have no other choice. They made the NCAA tournament this year, which he was, I mean, obviously you're happy about to win and all those things, but like one of the other first things that came to his mind was like, Oh, maybe I can schedule one less ass beating (laughs) next year because I don't need to make this much money. Well, in college Um, football, they famously, some very, very, very small schools take the Alabama, and this is in football, famously take, you know, that $3 million paycheck to play Alabama, and their kids are just not Alabama. Like, they're, they're kids, like actual kids. You know, like, I don't want to diminish their athletic skill set, but, like, they're getting put in line to get murdered. So their <laughs> schools can make $3 million so they could pay for the athletic, all of their athletic departments, that one game. Mm-hmm. And um, you know it's different in basketball. Yes, they go a lot, not all the time, but a lot of times they play and they lose by 60 and it's embarrassing. It's a lot different. There's actual violence in the other sport where kids' safety should be considered. Uh, 
But yeah, if that like that Rossing report, I was thinking about that. And so it makes me think about an idea that what I wrote about a couple Mondays ago, I guess, because I have no reference of time, that if you're going to keep 300 and some uh, Division One schools, they should really try to regionalize it. Where if you're like whatever, I don't want to say the state, because a lot of times like you could live at the top of New York and the drive to bottom of New York is 9 million hours. I'm like a, a, a logistical thing where like, hey, here's like an X mile square radius, square radius. Even during out of conference play, you can't leave it because that sh- would theoretically help with some of the money. Um, then obviously that make issues with TV deals because people are going to want to see. And I'm going to use the bigger schools now: UCLA play Kentucky in the non-conference, or mm-hmm. even a good low conference school like when Vermont was good. You know, towards the end of the Jim Warney run or in the early the Jeff Bowles run. It, when they were starting to play, you know, bigger schools in the non-conference, people want to see that stuff. But financially speaking, if the out-of-conference play, the non-conference pay is being less to those smaller schools, um, I don't know how that's feasible to expect them to manage financially. And again, this is where I have to keep noting very harshly, I'm not an economist. Uh, because they, a lot of these schools use, you know, their money sports. Uh, to fund numerous things that have nothing to do with sports while also having yeah. to make sure their sports thing are, remains in the green. Because if it's not in the green, that means they're not going to be able to fund anything else anyway. Uh, I think it's a bad business model to begin with to rely on a business model that relies on unpaid laborers to pay for a bunch of other things. Uh, I, and I think it's unethical and all these other things, but that's a different podcast for a different time. I just, I'm also of the belief, though, you're entitled to be, and I always equate, you know, Program, sports programs, the money sports programs, football, basketball, as a business. You're entitled to open it. You're not, or you have the right to open it. You're not entitled to stay open. And I feel like, you know, Hartford kind of felt that way. Oh no, these are all these things that's happening. They're getting out of Dodge. I think the process sucks, even though if the end game is probably the right move. Um, there was whispers of another school thinking the same thing and without name, image, and light and stuff coming down, which doesn't cost schools money directly at all, but it could cost them a sponsorship deal because if they have to choose between star player Y, who's going to be the front-facing party of your program, or just the name, like just Boise, I'm, Boise State's a bad example, um, just Maine, or the best player in Maine, they're going to probably pick the best player in Maine because he's going to be more marketable than the program. Um and they probably can pay the player less. Far less. Far less. And it's going to be a one-year deal. It won't be a, you got to lock on to six years new balance to mm-hmm. be with Maine. I don't know who Maine's basketball company is, but you know what I mean. Like it's, it will indirectly hurt them. So I do wonder if, if there's going to be a trickle effect, some kind of like other fallout where we do see other schools following suit, or if it's going to be one of those deals as well where they start leaking stuff to the media where it's like all of a sudden it's like the sky's falling stuff. And nobody actually plans on leaving, but they hope they do it enough to slow down whatever process is supposed to come next. Yeah. And I'm also curious about not just how it's going to affect D1, but then how does it affect D3 with these teams coming there? Right? Like, uh, for Harford, I don't think I've ever been there, so I don't know what their facilities look like, but assuming they have a d1 looking facility um it it also comes down to the timing again of when player if players leave when they leave but 
could they automatically just like be better than these D3 teams or could they be a lot worse because it's been a mass exodus and they need to build all the way back up. I'm I'm curious to see how how it affects where they go. Oh yeah, I mean I think that's valid because it's it's easy for especially someone like me to get lost in the division 1 part only. You know, and not really like there's like it's Chase Arena. I've never been there myself. I do know it looks very nice. Um, it only seats like I think it's slightly under 4,000 people. So it's not like it's this giant arena, but that's still a lot. The two division yeah. th- three schools, Wilkes and King, is right up the road from me. I'd be shocked if they sat a thousand people. Um, right. And they look like division one, they look worse than most high school gyms in my area. Uh, is that arena for Hartford? Is that an off-campus thing or an on-campus thing? Oh, I'd have to look that up because I know because then it's like what it. I mean, if it's off-campus, which it kind of sounds like it might be, like, will that contract continue <laughs> to have games there? That is a good point. I know because they have also. I know this for a fact, and I don't know why this is on the top of my head. Like President Obama has been there to do like speeches and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if it was for. Um, athletic reason or uh, college reasons or for some kind of like commencement speech or something like that. Like, I don't know what it was. Uh, I, I can't find the information if it was on or off campus. It was built in 1990. That's about the best thing I could do without actually like <laughs> looking even more. Uh, I guess it's a, uh, after Chase Arnold Arena. Oh, it looks pretty much it's from the Hart School Board for of Trustees. Hart- yeah. It, it looks pretty much just branded for Hartford. So maybe, it, even if it is maybe technically off campus, it looks like it's strictly Hartford's. Yes. Well, this goes back to something you kind of mentioned, and I don't it, It's tied into some medical center stuff too, as well. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with Hartford, Hartford as a college. Um, just gleaming really quickly, it seems to be big into the medical stuff. So maybe that's a, known for a medical type of university. Uh, mm. that's totally me just guessing there. I didn't do, this is not what this podcast is about is what Hartford, <laughs> what major you should use to get in Hartford. Right. Uh, but yeah, it does seem geared towards to be in Hartford, but that would be like, okay. and then at the division three level, I think most people do know, like they don't offer ac- uh, athletic scholarships. They can't, it's academic scholarships only. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's not like though, um, from my experiences, there's workarounds, you know, really good local kid. He did okay enough on the SATs, and his grades are good enough that they could float an academic scholarship to him, even though they're really bringing him there for basketball. It all depends on the school, too. How much do they care about their basketball program? Some schools don't care at all. Like at that level, Division Three, it's there to have that extra activity to build campus morale or just have kids stuff to do. Um, Sure. And I feel like I don't want to speak towards, because I'm not well-educated in Division Three sports. I'm just not. Uh, but I do feel like most places treat that as <clears throat> like when you see the if you're a high school kid coming out of or if you're coming out of high school and you're looking at the brochures and they're like here's all the activities. I feel like for Division three schools, like part of their activity list is like you could try out for a Division three basketball team. Um, not really like our Division three basketball team is, you know, a top 25 power program or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like how it would work if you were uh, like Duke's not pitching. Hey, we have a good basketball program that you might want to join or something. Their pitching is like, and you get to watch great NBA level players every night at Duke. Um, <clears throat> I don't, want, I don't, I don't know if I have that many more thoughts on Hartford. Do you have anything else on it? Like, do you think um, 
Well, I already asked you what if you what about the fallout, and it'll be all conjecture anyway. Do you have any other thoughts on them? Uh, no, I don't think so. I honestly just for the drama, I'm gonna root for Hartford like crazy next to win, year. To win just... another one, yeah, or to go to yeah, win yeah. One. get to the NCAA tournament. I yeah. for chaos purposes. Not only do I want them to give go me there. all, I'm just I'm so into like I just want all because of this dang pandemic. I just want any and all chaos in my life. Oh, and I'm for it. that 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 is number one, I think, right now. What if they they're bringing back the majority of their team too? And they, listen, to be clear, they also kind of snuck in the tournament this year. It wasn't like they yeah, were the like best they weren't supposed they weren't supposed to yes, make they it. they were the best team in the AEC last season. Um, but in, if it would be hilarious though, like they make it again, they get better than a 16 seed, which is a death sentence unless you play Villanova, and they make a run like to the final four, and they're like, okay, now we close. Like it would be ridiculous. <laughs> like it, it'd be like what if like not Baylor's a much. I just need sport. a no. I need. A, I don't. I don't. I, I won't try to be greedy. I won't even bring a final four. Give me a. Give me a second weekend Hartford team. I am all for it. Where one of their players becomes like the face of the tournament. Like you know, like like almost. And they like, and they get a they get a thirteen four matchup or something and just make it happen and take over one of the day yeah like that would be great i mean listen here's the <laughs> thing like i i obviously want all the players no matter the school to do great and yes. uh, and it does seem like this john gallagher guy who i'm not familiar with whatsoever i've never talked to him or anybody that's worked with him um he's been with the program for a long time him not like just bailing after this news seems like it makes right. him seem like a, like a good, good dude because he could probably has every right to want to bail at, at any point he wants now because he's coaching a lame duck program. Like he's yeah. gonna have a very even if they're gonna let him recruit with scholarships for a year, it's gonna be very hard to get kids to go there now. Um, mm-hmm. He's gonna have. I'm guessing, um, even if they let the, him use scholarships for whatever amount of time, he's not gonna get Division One players. Uh, they'll be like D two ish type players that are like, all right, whatever. Let me get a run on some ESPN Plus games. You know, uh, so, but I mean, I guess it's commendable, but I don't know him to know like what his aspirations are. We're going to pivot over to a subject matter that um, surely everybody will agree on. Jess, tell me why you hate coaches. No, I'm kidding. Tell me why <laughs> you don't like, uh, well, I don't want to put the words in your mouth. So the, the we have the one-time transfer rule now where guys are allowed to move freely, one time only. Um, a lot of coaches seem to be doing a woe is me thing. A lot of media members, Dick Vitale is an example, um, does the, oh, how is co- this is going to ruin college basketball. One of the nine million things Dick Vitale has told me over the last 30 years will ruin college basketball, <laughs> by the way. Um, but he loves but he loves Rick Pitino. It is. Listen, That's the one thing I just don't understand. He is. Okay, l- listen, as a, and ba- so uh, we're going to have to do this random aside here. Um, so people that are familiar with my work, uh, I hate college basketball media, even though for 10 years I was an active member of it, mostly because the ambassadors of the sport, because I want to consider Vitel media. I know he's on TV and all that, but he's an ambassador of the sport. Um, right. He's done a very poor job and he's prevent the evolution of the sport. So like, he'll tell you why Rick Pitino, uh, I don't want to say bad person, objectively riddled in scandal, Rick Pitino who's done numerous things that would ruin the careers of most people in any other profession. Um, why he's the greatest and why everybody else is wrong. 
why Rick Pitino should get this job and Rick Pitino should get that job and why the sport's better when he's in it. I know Rick Pitino is a good basketball coach, but you can't have this argument when you, this is a Dick Vitale like a Dick Vitale type argument. It is important for the sanctity of the sport that kids can't transfer that all these other things teach them to be men all these other like tropey things that don't really matter it has hasn't mm-hmm. mattered in 30 years and then go but also this guy that's forever in scandal should have a head basketball job coach like do you know what i mean like you right. can't be like oh yeah like this one kid transferred and by the way i don't have the data in front of me so this is a horrible thing to say but i promise you it's true athletes division one basketball athletes i don't and because i know that's the number that's always the highest at least at a percentage rate is actually the same if not often lower than the number of regular students that transfer i don't see anybody bashing like somebody's random kid like some random kid for going oh you really thought you were going to do well at boise state but now you want to go to fordham do you know what i mean like nobody does that to a random kid but we're going to do it to these kids Right. I don't know. I, I really dislike, dislike the way that the sport's covered where they got to fight the coaches. I understand that's where the less turnover is. So if you're an access merchant, you have to be nicer to the coaches than you would be the players. But we could, as a media person, I guess I'm getting back into it now or however you would describe it. We have to do a better job of not being like painting every slight change where a player might get like an ounce of power or like even free will. Because transferring is free will. It's not power. It's just free will. Mm-hmm. And now it's a free will where it's like, oh, this is going to destroy the sport. No, what's probably going to destroy the sport is not evolving with the times and continuing to pretend like if they got paid at all, you know, the world's going to explode. All right. So let's go circle right. back to the, you believe, and I'm going to, I'll be probably on your side here. Um, with all the transfer stuff happening, one-time transfer stuff, uh, a lot of coaches are doing a little bit of woe is me. So, uh, this is a horrible way to set you up, so I apologize. Talk about it's it. It's all good. Talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> no, I just, I, and it's not even necessarily from the coaches either, right? It is, uh, whether it's the quote-unquote media or, or whatever it is, I just feel like there's this this underlying theme of, oh, how are coaches going to evolve? And I think a lot of it actually came from maybe like Roy Williams retiring because I think a lot of people pointed to the quote-unquote like big changes coming to college basketball whether it is the one-time transfer rule or the name image and likeness uh or just like the landscape of the one and done right what happened Um, with Beeline too when he left he was a martyr for that was an actual column he was a martyr for college basketball when he left college basketball got so bad that John Beeline that he had to leave for millions of dollars in the NBA. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, and I just, my, my biggest thing is like, especially with this one time transfer rule, the, the biggest thing that's ringing in my head is any coach at any opportunity they're given, if they can over recruit a kid and you know, say you have a sophomore, you know, rising junior. He's been pretty solid for you, but you get this kid who's in his senior year in high school and you already know he's going to be five to ten points a game better than your current guy. You're going to over-recruit him in a second without batting an eye, and you can't <laughs> convince me otherwise. And well, explain, I just for, think... for layman's For layman's, explain over-recruiting. So, basically... So, 
you find someone who's better than what you have right now. Meaning, though, and the end result would be? That the player, maybe they've been starting for two years for you. They're going They're going to be put on the bench. or And hoping and hoping they, they transfer out. And, or hoping they hoping transfer, they transfer out. out. Or telling them to. Because I, I really think, I don't think a lot of people realize, technically scholarships are one-year contracts. Coaches can and have called people, called players into their office and said, "Listen, I don't think you're going to fit in with us going forward. I, I, we can't uh, renew your scholarship." That and, has and, happened. And generally, they package it as you should probably transfer. Right, like they're not. Yeah, they're not. The, they're not being like, "Hey, presented- you, you leave now." It's usually yeah. packages like, "I think you should transfer. We don't have a spot for because you because we don't have a spot for you." Or we have these two guys coming in and I just don't think you're going to get the playing time that you want. Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, I've been, I would say ever since uh, grad school, I went to Canisius for grad school and shout out Dr. O'Rourke, who I had uh, leadership with. And that's when like it first started coming about, about like paying players and, you know, like cost of attendance was starting to be a topic of discussion. And I think since then I've, I've kind of just been focusing on like player empowerment and just trying to figure out like, like you just got to do what's best for you, in my opinion. And sometimes that can look bad and we're built on these ideas of like, oh, you can't quit and all these things. But like you said, like like no like no one's gonna hate on someone for transferring like closer to home or transferring. And I know that that whole transfer thing had been abused in the past of like, oh my third aunt is sick and I need to be closer, so I'm gonna go to this high major program that's five hours away, but still technically closer to home. But at the same time, like those non-athletic students that transfer we're we're not hating on them for doing that and you're you're in college for four years five years like why not try to make the most out of it in my opinion right and like it's this goes this actually some of this stuff some of the stuff you're talking about how people view them as a quitter or not being tough or being mentally weak this is something the media ate in this for a very long time and i don't want to say all media but like a large portion of college basketball media, they, you know, bought into the Dunstable's narrative to the point where now like something like, hey, I'm not a fit at a school. And most of these guys aren't professional athletes, right? Like 98% of them aren't or whatever the number is. Um, some of them are leaving for academic reasons. Like, hey, I'm not making it here or it's not a good fit. Like not all of it is basketball related. I dropped the number on you. And it's a little bit of an older study from 2008. So I'm going to play the number conservative. 18. Yeah. But like I don't even play that. I'm even going to drop the percentage I gave you beforehand because I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure how accurate it is now. But it was something like 70% of Division One basketball players transferred down in conference, uh, meaning like they were in a stronger RPI conference, and then they went down. Um, and some obviously out of Division One completely. But this idea that this is some kind of – moral flaw that a kid wants to go to whatever other school is and then and that doesn't factor in if a coach leaves 
That doesn't factor in if an assistant coach leaves. That the, the assistant coach could be the reason why they're there too, not just the head coach. Uh, the training coach leaves. Uh, something happened to their family. Something happened with their school. Like just a billion other things that have nothing to do with. I'm only playing 18 minutes a game. I think I should be playing 23. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't. I know I've never liked. And there's guys I like in basketball media who do that a lot. Like, oh, if this guy, they'll, they'll use the outlier, the guy that didn't transfer, and then they kind of. Uh, evolved their game to when they started playing more as a junior and maybe even became a star-ish player as a senior. Like, well, that's what you get when you stick it out. No, generally, if you stick it out, the coach is going to force you to leave because he found somebody better or you're just never going to play. Like, that's more likely to happen than you that player evolve over the years. And that's that applies more so to the high majors. Um, and you, yeah. you gave a very good example, so I'm going to let you say it, about how it kind of just evens out anyway. If you remember, I don't want to use any of the terminology oh, yeah, yeah. beforehand. Yeah, so just – you mean like the specific player? You use the example about? you gave me. Like how yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we were talking about how like between mid-low major schools and high major schools, it all kind of evens out in terms of kids transferring out. And, and I think when this whole one-year thing started to come about, it was the – Jalen Pickett and the kid from was it UNC Wilmington who like led the conference in scoring like those kids who were the best or one of the best players in a mid-major conference moving to a high major conference so the example I gave was yes Jalen Pickett went from Siena to Penn State but guess what for his fifth year Anthony Gaines is going from Northwestern to Siena now they don't play the same position they're not the same player but it kind of evens itself out. Right, especially for that for Sienna's level of play. Like, Jalen Pickett, yeah. like, me and you are, are huge Jalen Pickett stands, and uh, I get hyperbolic when talking about him. So, like, I'm not going to be the greatest person. <laughs> your, your piece on him his freshman year is still my favorite thing in the um, entire world. I unfortunately had people listen to me and then put them on their <laughs> NBA mock draft boards. Um, that's oh, how I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. Uh, because I admitted to you when the season was over, I'm like, hey, I was wrong. Especially his sophomore season. I'm like, hey, like, I need to take a step back with this NBA yeah. draft stuff. Not, I, I you, did try to reel you in. I, I did try to reel you in. But then it just got fun. So well, like, but but right. it, the worst part about it was people listened to me because they thought I was some <laughs> kind of authority on the matter. And then all of a sudden I saw him like on late fr- – his freshman year on like first-round mock drafts. I'm like, no, please get him off because he's not going to get drafted. <laughs> uh, because then that's how maybe the, somebody might get advice. Luckily, he was smart enough not to listen to me. And uh, – but yeah, but like the thing is, Jalen Pickett, very, very, very good player. He's going to go to Penn State. And the other thing is like I think he makes Penn State margin or measurably better. He will. Penn State's also going through a transition period of time. This is not going to change the landscape of Big Ten basketball right now. It's going to help the transition from the uh, Pat Chambers era to the I can't I, I don't want to even bother trying to pronounce his name because I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name era. Um, it helps that stabilize. It's like that small building block to get back to uh, competency. Um, but like you mentioned, Sienna's getting a guy back who yeah, like if you look at his county stats, you're not going to be like, oh this guy he was only okay at Northwestern. Well, listen, he's not playing in the Big Ten anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's stepping down. And that's down. exactly who Anthony Gaines is. I mean, I've known Anthony for a long time. Oh, here comes the name drop. It only took well, no, 40 just, minutes he in. Was, he was in the same, you know, he, he literally played the same organization as Jalen. It's, it's, it's easy, right? And 
yeah, he's he's not he's not playing against the Big Ten. I, I am very interested to see like what position he plays in the MAC or the the MAAC as you like to call it, but uh, or the MAC. Yeah. Well, there's Mac, two Macs, yeah. so it's very hard. I don't want to confuse that. Yeah. I still think I think, also, he, I think I think he plays point guard. I really do. He's really Who, he's Gaines? yeah. No, I don't think so. You think he's too big now? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. Also, I've I really like Sienna's the rising sophomore point guard, Aiden Carpenter. He. Uh, Oh, he so you're really you're saying this to protect another guy? I see what you're doing here. Not really. I just I just don't see I just don't see AG as a point guard. But that's interesting. I guess I didn't really. Well, I mean, that, he. But. I mean, I, now we're gonna go crazy in depth on a guy that only played 20 minutes a game for <laughs> Northwestern. But like, he improved so much from shooting his shooting like over the course exactly, of his career. Yeah, that's so, like, that's a big one. I mean, I mean, technically at that level of basketball, he could probably play the one through the three. Do you know what I mean? Gaines could. Yeah. So, like, yeah. depending on what they want to do with that roster, because I, uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think he was close to a 35% three-point shooter last season. Um, not mm-hmm. a lot of volume or nothing like that. I think it was probably, like, one in 10 per game. But it adds versatility because at that level, mm-hmm. there are plenty of six-foot-four small forward that's not unheard of. Jalen Pickett happened to be a very big guard for, you know, the Mac. Yeah, he did. So... Um. But like, but, it's the, I, but be good. I, I think we're gonna end up talking about Sienna a ton at the more we uh, we, hold, <laughs> yeah. we do these so, shows. I guess I should tell everyone I did go there. I guess that that should be uh, noted. Yes, and I am also well now that he doesn't go there anymore. But I'm a noted uh, Jan Pick and Homer. I also like you know, oh, their head coach, and I think you feel similar. My guy just uh, well, no, he well. He was at Penn State. Now he's at Northwestern. Did you see they announced Taylor Battles at Northwestern now? The assistant coach, yeah. That that literally just mm-hmm. happened while we started recording, I believe, right? Uh, that's when they announced it, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, well, I, I feel like that was going – I don't want to say that that was going to happen, but the poetry – those stuff – that stuff matters, like for recruiting and transfers and all this other stuff. Penn State's in a very important – I'm going to overstate Penn State basketball now. In a very important position in their program history, they held on. Pat Chambers right. was not only not a good coach. I know he had, there was those flashes of brilliance. and they had, He had Tim Frazier for a couple of years, who was very good. Um, but he was also mired in scandal a ton. And I always felt like, and I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm not a Penn State basketball fan, but like I'm obviously more aware of them than some other state schools in other states. Uh, they stuck a, a stuck alongside a guy who wasn't worth it for far too long. And I'm hoping they get better. Like, listen, if and I'm a big Steve Peichel guy. It's, if Steve Peichel could turn on Rutgers, anything's possible. <laughs> it's Shrewsbury, right? Is that how Is that how you I wasn't sure. Michael I didn't Shrewsbury? Know, I knew I'm his first sure. name, but I'm not, I wasn't positive on the last name. I, I'm, the other thing, I wrote it. I just wrote the column on it. I actually regret saying he wasn't well-known. Inside college basketball circles, I should have said he wasn't well known to the casual basketball circles. Yeah, uh, because that was an unfair way to paint him. Because like I knew who he was, I, I've I've read the name. He obviously didn't get the job because he was unqualified. I should have phrased it differently, but yeah, like they're going through an interesting transition period. That's where like that transfer. I think the thing is too, like a school like Penn State right now, you're not going the transfer rules bad because you got Jalen Pickett. You're like, yeah, this is going to help stabilize the program. And they also got the guy mm-hmm. from, oh, God, what was the other guy's name? Was it was the kid from Nebraska, maybe? 
It couldn't be Nebraska mm. because that doesn't sound right. But they also landed another good, good, uh, good kid. I want to say Newberry, but I can't remember his first name. I also could be wrong. This is our favorite segment on the show called Googling Players. <laughs> is it Jerry Newberry? Why am I stuck on Newberry for some reason? Uh, Gardner Did, Webb kid. Was it something like 14 points per game? Uh, that He was only 10 points per game. Oh, then maybe I'm confusing. Well, the other thing. John Harrer? Harrer? Har- oh, no, he was already at Penn State. He's leaving. Jalen Pickett. I they got help. a Juco transfer? I hope that's not the kid I was thinking of, because then I really confused what I was trying to... No, that's not it. There's Jalen... All right, I was, I was, um, oh man, I think I confused it with the high school kid that committed. Oh, yeah. I did. Oh, no. And I, 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 the thing was, you know what? I mixed up two kids' names as well because Cornwall was the guy I was thinking of as the transfer who is, oh, okay. pr- who's pretty solid. Like, he's, um, I don't remember necessarily all his numbers off the top of my head, but I know he played well at Gardner Webb. And he's going to be an older, and this stuff does matter, and people don't realize it. He'll be older, um, which does matter. He's like you're, you know, more physically built like a man than you are when you're at 18 or whatever like that. But he was uh, somebody that you know he did shoot a lot, I believe, and one of those high volume, actually efficient three point shooters at Gardner Webb. Um, mm-hmm. Let me pull up the stats because what if I'm mixing them up again? Nope, I'm not, I'm not wrong. I was right. 41 percent from three on six attempts per game. So I was, th- I was thinking the right guy, but mixing him up with a high school recruit. Um, but those are good things for Penn State. And I just ramble on about Penn State basketball, and all four people that like Penn State basketball are really excited about it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, to your other to, – to the point we were actually making, and you're right, it's not really just – it's not really coaches per se. A lot of this is being done on behalf of some coaches. But I don't yeah. think it's a – I never liked the narr- the discussion around it, the narrative around it, however you want to phrase it, of if a kid, like, when and- now, like, there are weird ones, like when Andrew Wright played and he finally ended up at Syracuse, at that point, I think that was his third or fourth school. Then that's a little third, weird. I think, yeah. That's, like, that's, that's a little weird. But, like, generally speaking, most kids are transferring down or laterally, and it doesn't change the landscape of much. I understand, like, on a personal level, if you're a coach, it can right like because you have a job to worry about you want to you want to keep your good kids i totally mm-hmm. get it but you're also free to leave at a moment's notice so with yeah with like zero repercussions no because the next school will just if you have a buyout the next school will just pay it for you so it's yeah. not like you're paying the five hundred and fifty thousand dollar buyout from your contract at the university of broken dreams it'll be the next school that does it <laughs> uh so like i i've never liked that power dynamic so then it makes me a little it always feels weird to me when a coach will go on a rant like a – I'm not going to name any coach, for example, because I'll, I'll probably name the wrong one. But when a coach will do the I can't – I don't like what these guys transfer or when they deny transfers. And I know you know the in-conference ones, I kind of get it because you're losing. It would be like if you owned a McDonald's and right across the street there's a Burger King. You don't want to lose that employee to Burger King. Um, I get that. But like if you're free to leave whenever you want, you probably shouldn't get a bash the kid 
who before this year actually had restrictions on top of when he transferred. Can't transfer in conference, have to sit out a year, so, so on and so forth. Um, and then, you know, they have the reporters that do the bulk numbers, like the attention-seeking see- attention headline, like, now we're up to 800 kids entering the transfer mm-hmm. portal. And I don't know when the transfer portal became the term that we use, but I, f- I also feel like that's a di- disingenuous way to put it. Um, 800 kids entered the portal. Uh, they, they're just going to a different college. There, there's no, there's no, they, they don't sit in some room waiting to, <laughs> and they're, they're also often. Well, and they also don't start mentioning when like, oh, they're not in the portal anymore and didn't actually end up transferring. Which happens pretty often. like that happens. Yeah, sometimes the kid's like, oh, I might leave because my coach told me there's not going to be a spot for me. Then that coach missed out on whatever recruit or whatever other transfer. And he goes, you know what, actually, come back. We have a spot for you now. Right. And then a lot of the coaching changes, all these stuff. Like, I just hate the non-nuanced take of here's the large number. And then we just go, oh, okay, this is up 10% from last year. Now it's up 50%. Well, there's nine bazillion kids in college. Like, a lot of kids are going to not be happy one or two years into their school. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm, I think I'm just starting to realize, like, people care about things that truly do not affect their life whatsoever. Yes. Like, I understand if you're a fan of uh, a school, like, Am I sad that Jalen left? Of course I am. But, like, go do you, man. Go do what's going to be best for you and your family. Like, it does not really affect me in my life whatsoever, except for the fact that I don't get to watch you every time I turn on a Santa game. Right, right. Because the other the other option you have is basically rooting for the kid to fail. You know what and I mean? Lo- like, like I, just, I just want – like, if anyone looks at my Twitter, you, you – like I just want everyone to be like if everyone could win, and I'm not talking like oh participation trophies or whatever. Like, don't don't give me that BS. But like if everyone could win, like that's what I want. I just want everyone to be happy. Right? Why wouldn't? You, why would you like if you if you remove it from the vacuum? Right? Like if you move it from the hey, I grew up listening to Dick Vitale and Seth Greenberg and Dan Dockage and whoever your other not you specifically. I'm saying you in a general term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, whoever you grew up listening tell you about college sports. When you remove that and you just go, hey, some guy's not happy somewhere. Some kid is unhappy somewhere. He wants to go to a different school. Your reaction is not going to be anything other than, I hope he finds the right spot. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, if you remove the all these other tropes and terms and all these other belief systems they put on you that say, like, hey, this is why this thing's bad. No, like, generally speaking, like, I've, I have people in my family who've probably gone to, like, six different colleges <laughs> and and no employer has ever said to them, prospective employer goes, man, that's a lot of transferring. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Like it, nobody nobody outside college basketball media and fans and coaches, I guess, think transferring of this tr- moving to different schools is this negative trait. And also, like this is even factor in the fact that a lot of these kids are grad transfers. Yeah, they did their time. They I, graduated. Right. And I. You know, one of the things, my one of my favorite moments in the NCAA tournament this year was, uh, it was before one of UCLA ga- UCLA's games. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember which game exactly it was, but they were doing, like, you know, the whole, like, uh, they, they were just doing a piece on 
Johnny Juzang. And for those who don't remember, he transferred from Kentucky to UCLA. He's a California kid. That's where his family, his family's on the West Coast, all these things. And they interviewed his family as well, talking about transferring. And the way his dad was just like, and I'm going to paraphrase here and like, uh, don't quote me and whatever, but it was basically like, hey, he didn't have the role that we thought he would. We thought he should be in a, you know, better role than he was at Kentucky. So he decided to leave. And like, I just loved it because he was just like, basically not necessarily calling out Cal, but like, it was kind of like a, this is what happened. So we decided to do what the best, what was the best for him. And I was just like, hell yeah. Like I'm all in. Right. Right. Well, that's it. That's the, the issue with, again, like I hate Blake and Steve, like if, if the thing didn't work out, it obviously worked out at UCLA for them. They exceeded all expectations this past season. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it failed, what they would have said is like, see, this is what you get for being a me guy, for choosing I, yeah. I over the team. Um, as if he was just supposed to stay Which there and be Which he's miserable. not. Like, and trans- like, he's just choosing a different team. <laughs> like, it's not. Do you know what the easy fix to this, though, is if they really want to complain about kids transferring? Pay, mm-hmm. pay them. Right. Because if, then if they're professionals and they're under contracts that are more than like a wink and a nod and a eight month, what I think it works. I don't know if it's a season or a semester or however it works um, deal. Then you could actually be mad if a guy leaves because then like, yeah. you're like that's a professional like breach athlete. of contract yeah. or something. But right now yeah. they're just like, they're un- like, I don't want to do the whole unpaid labor thing and all that stuff because well, plenty of time for that in other shows. But <laughs> when you're one, they are providing a service. And that's why they get the scholarship. They're not getting the scholarship for free, right? It's not like they're just giving, you know, player X a $60,000 tuition for no reason. He's giving them something in return for it. But even with that being the case, when he leaves, or if he does decide to leave, or a coach decides to kind of force him out, those are all decisions they're making for what's best for them. And I'm fine with both. I'm actually fine with the coach doing Hey, you need to transfer. I, I prefer it this way than them just cutting them. But they're like, hey, you should probably transfer out. There's no room for you here. I am actually fine with that. I just don't like it when we do the thing that step after, where we ignore all the coach part stuff of it and just you know paint these kids as bad human beings that lack hard work and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like as if you know everybody in the world has ha- had more than one job. Right. Because I used to work at Hertz and then I became a beer salesman at one point in my life. Does that make me a bad person? Or 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 does that make me smart for looking for a place that gave me better options for career success? You know what I mean? Like right. that's how they have to look at it with these kids. Like yes, it it'll affect your favorite basketball program. You won't remember in 5 years. You won't. Right. Like I I grew up a fan of St. John's. I stopped following them as a fan, probably in like the early 2000s, late 2000s, or mid 2000s, whatever. Um, from 2008 to now, I can't tell you who transferred out of there. Like, I can tell you a couple kids. You know what I mean? But like, the majority of them don't matter anyway because you never hear from them again, ever. Especially the bigger programs. So right. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't understand why people get very upset. It's not like. Uh, 
a kid's transferring out of Duke and going to Kentucky. I know we just gave the example, Johnny, going from Kentucky to UCLA. <laughs> but like at the time, that didn't seem like this move that was going to alter the landscape of college basketball. It kind of did. Yeah, I mean, you, it did, but it, UCLA wasn't supposed to be that good. No, they weren't supposed Listen, you could actually argue they were Especially solid and they, and they got hot in the tournament too. Like You could argue that as well. They were actually yeah. good, but not great. They just did very well in the tournament. Yeah. But, like, it's not like Drew Timmy left Gonzaga to go to Duke. Right. Like, these are the th- Like, that's the way they talk about it, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, they talk about it, like, as if, like, something major happened. And it's never, like, a top 100. It's, I don't want to say never. Rarely a top 100 player in a power league going to another top school in a power league. It's usually, like, a kid that was under-recruited because guys were, for whatever the reason... And they're looking to, you know, make a name for themselves or they want to go to a better... Sometimes it might just be... I don't want to speak on behalf of people I don't know. But maybe it's like, hey, like I think I could do better academically or professionally, like get my goals there at this other school and on and off the court. Like Jalen Pickett's Or sometimes move. you just... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say Jalen Pickett... Sometimes Pick- you just don't know. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. <laughs> sometimes you just don't know, like how you're going to fit with a coach or something too, right? Like they're going to give you all the, everything's greener here and you're going to be great here. And we have all these plans for you. And then sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like, again, I'm not going to try to like speak for him or like know exactly what happened. But the one example coming to my mind is like Mac McClung going from Georgetown to Texas tech. Like, who know? Like I don't know. Maybe he just like wasn't trying to play for Patrick anymore. Like you know, it's just. Who, but all. But my thing is like, who cares? Who cares what the reason is? Just let him go. Let him play. Like whatever. Let him fly. Like just let him prosper. <laughs> Seriously. Like the uh, the example. The thing I was talking about, like Jalen Pickett going to Penn State. Like that's probably a move, not academically made. That's probably a move to be like, hey, I need to show that I'm. Mm-hmm. I could play on a higher stage, right? That way mm-hmm. his, even if it's not the NBA, I do think he's a fringe talent still. I don't think he's like a first rounder anymore. Um, but that's why he's making the move. He's making the move to be like, hey, I'm going to, I could do whatever in the MAC. And it doesn't matter if he scored 25 points in the MAC. People are still going to have questions about him, right? That's why he's going to the Big Ten. And he could put up the same numbers he did last year when he was hurt and all those positive, uh, yeah, positive COVID pauses and all that stuff. And people would probably like him more because he did it in the Big Ten, even if the Big Ten next right. season doesn't end up being, if it does or doesn't end up being special. That's why he made the move. But generally speaking, that's not why most moves are made. They're made for maybe playing time. Or The thing is, you could kind of blanket statement this is, are they happy? No. Mm-hmm. That's why they transferred. Now, the reason for their unhappiness could vary. But like, then you're telling me, we should not be rooting for them to be happy. That if they're unhappy, <laughs> exactly. they should just stick it out. Like, whatever the reason is. If the reason is something as stupid as playing, not stupid, as sportsian as playing time. If that's the reason, and that's why the kid's unhappy, then why are we doing this thing where we're judging happiness? Like, somebody else's happiness. I don't give a shit. I really don't care. I, I didn't, I've never blamed somebody... Like, even if somebody you don't like, as long as they're not a hurtful person, right? And you'll see a thing. Yeah. I, I'll never forget this little... These, these are two very bad people examples, so don't hurt the mess. Like, they're the messenger here. But I thought it was like... But it was two different worlds colliding. 
And somebody asked Little Wayne about Justin Bieber. This is like nine years ago or whatever. And he goes, what do you think about Justin Bieber? And the reporter assumed he was going to bash Justin Bieber. And this isn't Justin Bieber's like 14. He goes, man, I ain't going to hate on somebody for securing the bag. I don't care how they get it. That's kind of how I feel. Right. Why, why am I going to hate on somebody securing the bag? Now, they're not securing the bag. The athletes are securing a different landing spot. But like, the fuck I care? <laughs> I'm not going to exactly. like when you listen to some of these guys write or talk, not listen when they write, when you read what some of them write and you hear how some of them talk, they make it sound like when before they go to bed, they're checking the transfer portal number num- number. And if it goes up two more, they're going to lose like an extra 30 minutes of sleep. That's the way they make it sound. Yep. I just, uh, I'm on team. Who cares? That's kind of how I am. I mean, I care that I hope they're happy. I, I, I do. I yeah, exactly. But like, I don't want them making a dumb decision, but like, I want it to be their decision. Well, that's the other thing too. There, that's a deep. Maybe we'll do that in the next podcast because that's another discussion where where the kids get getting advice from, and that's sometimes where we can maybe be worried about them or on behalf of them. I guess is the way to put sure. it. Sure. Um, because that's something that with depending on what name, image, and likeness bill or bills happen. Like I know some already were passed. It's supposed to be enacted in like two months. Um, I do imagine a uniform policy at some point. Um, Regardless, I am very worried about the agent in charge of those people being somebody that's actually not their best interest. Um, Somebody wrote about it recently, maybe Matt Brown from Extra Points, where we've already have, you know, pretty credible uh, history lesson of if we're going to get this third party ish person who is not like going to because a lot of this legislature points to like, they're not gonna be able to pick it like an agent. You know what I mean? For this third party revenue thing, they're going to be like a mm-hmm. signed one. And, uh, that seems like a bad idea. Uh, because yeah. that, guy, that guy's not going to have the kid's best interest in their heart. And it, it seems like some, not all, some of the legislature, like the Georgia one's ex- very, very poor, very bad bill. Um, they're going to take choice out of player student athletes' hands uh, while trying to recoup money for some reason. Like that Georgia bill, they could schools within Georgia could take up the seventy four point nine 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 percent of the third party revenue generated by the player, um, which kind of actually highlights how valuable players are if they think they want a seventy five percent cut. But um, we could do that on another podcast. Do you have any other thoughts about this before we uh, we call it episode one point one? Of the Bumble the Cutter <laughs> podcast? Uh, no, I think I'm good. All right. Well, I'm going to say briefly before we go. So Jessica will be Jess, Jessica. I never, I've, I've legitimately never asked you which one you preferred. <laughs> I've always called you Jess because that's what your name is in every chat I've ever been with you. With. Yeah. But, um, yeah. We can stick with Jess. That yeah, was weird. <laughs> flex screen. I don't know what, I don't know how that slipped out. Um, will be my primary calls most of the time. Norman from Rumble of the Garden was supposed to be it. He's still going to pop in here and there. And it'll be like, for those familiar with Jess or I from any of our Nick Wall stuff, when we did the draft stuff with Mike, uh, we've often done like three or four person podcasts before. And they tend to be actually pretty informative because then you get more than just two opinions. Um, A lot of times when it's just two people, especially like me and Jess are pretty like-minded, we're just echoing each other's thoughts. Sometimes it's good to get that third or fourth voice in there to be like, all right, Joe, you're a fucking idiot. Uh, Because I (laughs) I usually am, but Jess is too polite and won't tell me that. Um, so you can find Jess on Twitter. Oh, Jess, plug your Twitter because I'm, you're going to be able to do better than I would. 
Uh, yeah, Jrin44, J-R-E-I-N-44. And she does stuff for the Next Wall. You should check out the Next yep. Wall. I'm, I'm an alum. Check al- out the Next Wall. I'm an alum at the Next Wall. I used to do a podcast there, official podcast. Now I do a lot of guest spots, and they're all good people. Um, you're if you're listening to this, you're already at the newsletter. Maybe you're on the Spotify station. I don't know, but bumping the cutter newsletter. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Joseph Nardone and A-R-D-O-N-E. Thanks, guys. All around me are familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hot takes, bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking, no one's clicking. Their page views are filling up their pockets, but not for writers, not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I kinda find it funny, I find it kinda sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad internet. Mad.